When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. No matter where you are in the world, when you think of the Blitz, you think of the Blitz on London. The two are synonymous and not without reason. You know, you go back to September 7th, Black Saturday in 1940, and Luftwaffe raids left 430 people dead and 1,600 injured. And this was just the start of 57 consecutive nights and days of bombardment. So it's understandable why when we think of the Blitz, we think of London. But the truth is that the heavy bombardment of Britain involved so many towns and cities across the country, from Plymouth in the south to Swansea in Wales, to Belfast in Northern Ireland, the Blitz of Belfast, to Clydebank in Scotland, or all up the east coast from Hull to Newcastle. There was bombing by the Luftwaffe throughout the entirety of the Second World War. I'm fascinated by these forgotten blitzes. And so I headed up to Newcastle to speak with an expert on the blitz of the East Coast. Now, I'm your host, James Rogers. This is the Warfare Podcast. And in this episode, we speak to Dr. Stephen Moore. Stephen helps us to understand why cities like Newcastle in the north of England were bombed and targeted by the Luftwaffe. But he also helps us to understand why they are forgotten marginalised histories. Enjoy. Hi Stephen, welcome to the Warfare Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me James. Not a problem at all. We are in person. This is always what I love doing and I get to talk about a topic that I'm so incredibly passionate about and that is the Second World War bombardment of the UK. And we're here, we are in Newcastle. I have been fascinated by this for years. As our listeners know, I go on about this quite a lot. I did my PhD up at the University of Hull. That's down from here James. All right, yeah, I'm I'm from down south, so it's always up. All right, it's down from here, yeah. Down at the University of Hull. And one of the things that fascinated me when I first went there was the really obvious gaps in the houses, the ominous piles of rubble. And then when I went down to the archives and started looking to this more and more, I was dumbstruck by the fact that nine out of ten buildings in Hull were damaged or destroyed during the Second World War. And everything I'd been taught about the Luftwaffe bombing of the UK was, you had the Battle of Britain, you had then the attempts to destroy London, the Blitz and that Blitz spirit and the fortitude of the South. But of course, as a result of Britain's attempts to 
push Hitler back, to knock him on his heels, to give him a blow, they realise that actually, you know, they take on an easier target. They take on Stalin, they take on the Soviet Union. The rest is history. You can almost jump to Operation Husky, move into Italy. You can jump into 1944, Normandy invasions, and the war is won. But none of that is true. The historiography of the bombardment of Britain during the Second World War is incredibly loose. It has some gaps in it, doesn't it, Stephen? I don't think it's loose. I just think it's London-centric. London-centric. Why is that? You talked about the bombing of London. Obviously, government centres were in London. So all the propaganda was uh, centred around London. And even when you get into 1941, when the bombing focus tips away from London and more cities are getting bombed in the provinces rather than in London, the central narrative is still the bombing of London. So you get the 11th of May raid, 1941, on London, which was the largest raid on London, which lots of the historiography incorrectly slates as being the last raid of the Blitz, which it wasn't. But the historiography then tends to forget about bombing, of the UK until you get to 1944 when it's the V1 and V2 attacks against guess what? London. Yeah. I grudgingly admit that there is some kerfuffle about Baydecker raids in 1942 but that very quickly fades away. So there's this big gap from May 1941 to the end of 1943 which has been completely under-researched that was the period that I chose to do for my PhD research and I was shocked just how few secondary sources there were. I literally had to go back to the archives and go back to records that people hadn't looked at for maybe 50, 60 years since the official histories were written to actually go back and correct some of the mistakes that the official historians had made, possibly because they didn't have access to all the records that I had that weren't centralised enough. But even so, there was a lot of mistakes made in the conclusions that they drew from that period in between May 1941 and the end of 1943. You see, this is the interesting bit, isn't it? Because when you do go to those local archives, there are just mounds of information. And everyone in that society of a certain age knows that local story. They know about the bombardments that happened. They know how heavy it was. They know the cost to life. And they know the regions that were just flattened by it. And of course, the scars are still there today. You go to Swansea. You can head up to Newcastle. You can go to Hull. You can go down to Plymouth. Every part of the United Kingdom was at some point hit, even over in Northern Ireland. You look yeah, at the, the had two very big raids, yeah. Exactly. But like you say, none of that seems to be particularly centralised. But the question I've got for you is, I, I understand the Battle of Britain. I understand the reasons why the Luftwaffe were trying to knock out the RAF and a real big focus on hitting the airfields in particular. Then I understand the Blitz on London. I understand the morale bombing and the idea behind area bombing, morale bombing. You destroy the morale of the people, you force them to tell their leadership to capitulate, and you also destroy the war-making capacity of your enemy, right? But when it comes to the bombing of all these disparate and distant places all across the UK, do we know much about what the Luftwaffe strategy was, what their aims were, and why they continued to target these towns, these cities, these regions, even though, actually, they probably could have done with moving their resources to the Eastern Front by 1942 and through. 
well, General Holder described it as blockade bombing, trying to knock out ports so you couldn't unload food and equipment, also interfering with industry, especially the aviation industry, and trying to have a serious effect on the economic structure and infrastructure of the country. So this is, in essence, a new way of trying to starve the nation. Yeah, it was was designed to be a combined campaign. You would have the air offensive against the ports, and you'd also have the U-boat campaign to actually sink the ships before they could actually bring the supplies to the ports. And between the two, it was designed to starve the country of resources, not just food, but the resources needed to make war. So they were quarantining the country. Pretty much, yeah, it's a good description. Our little island caught between the North Sea and the Atlantic is surrounded on all fronts. And that's what that's put a tight squeeze on yeah. Great Britain and its central command. Yeah, because it really annoys me when you get the narrative of Britain standing alone. There was an absolutely enormous commonwealth and empire yeah. with a massive resources. The problem was getting those resources where they were needed, which in 1940 and early 1941 was the British Isles. And the Germans were out to try and prevent that from getting there. I mean, we're going to rewrite so much of the history here in the next 20 minutes or so. But does that mean we should rethink the importance of the Atlantic convoys as well then? We talk about going from America to resupply the Soviet Union. Was it also about resupplying us? Yes. If you couldn't get the supplies to the UK first, then they were going to go nowhere else. So you couldn't send any aid to Russia, even though we're talking slightly early for Russia here. Yeah. And also you couldn't get supplies to the Middle East because obviously you were starting the campaign in the Western Desert. Unless you could get resources there, that was going to be another problem as well. The Mediterranean was blocked by this time, so you had to go all the way around Africa. So again, that gave more opportunities for those to be interfered with. Hi there, I'm Don Wildman, the host of the brand new podcast, American History Hit. Join me twice a week as I explore the past to help us understand the United States today. You'll hear how Codebreakers uncovered secret Japanese plans for the Battle of Midway. Visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with the British. See Walt Disney accuse his former colleagues of being communists and uncover the hidden history that lies beneath Central Park. From pre-colonial America to independence, Slavery to civil rights, the gold rush to the space race. I'll be speaking to leading experts to delve into America's past. New episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. So join me on American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So take us into a bit of detail about some of these secret blitzes and bombardments that have been forgotten by history. What should we focus on to try and understand this story? I think the first thing to focus on is to make the point that the Blitz did not end on the 11th of May 1941. There was a lot more raids took place, including what are classed as major raids, when the intention was to drop more than 100 tons of bombs on a single target in a single night. There was four more major raids between the 11th of May 1941 until the last one in the middle of July, which is actually at Hull. That was, oh, the last, was that was the last major raid against the UK in 1941. So where were the other the other four then? Was it London? Uh, no, London didn't get another one. There was one at Southampton. There was one at Birmingham. But then after that, you still got you still got raiding going on. Bomber units are cycling back to Germany to get re-equipped, and then are heading to the east because they're going to be supporting uh, the invasion of the Soviet Union. But the bomber units that are left are actually stepping up operations against the UK, flying more raids to compensate so that the British won't actually think so many units are actually being withdrawn. Right. Because they don't realise that Enigma's been broken and the British are reading their air signals anyway. Yeah. But the whole point is the Germans are deliberately bombing more often in order to disguise the fact that they're actually relocating their units for the invasion of the Soviet Union. Uh, so the last raid that actually takes place is after the Soviet Union gets invaded. There's July the 27th against London, which isn't a major raid. There's about 70 tonnes of bombs dropped. There's about 100 people killed in London, but it was described as being a very scattered and inaccurate raid. But of course, London's such a big target. You're going to drop bombs, it's going to hit people, and it's going to kill them. So my research proposes that raid in July against London is actually the last raid of the Blitz. So instead of the Blitz ending in May 1941, it ends in July 1941. But that's not the end of the bombing of Britain, is it? No, it isn't. So there's a sequence of 12 raids that start in August 1941, going through to December 1941, which I've proposed is the East Coast Blitz. They were predominantly against targets on the East Coast of England. There was seven in the North East, two at Hull, and then there was three other raids, most, which were all very inconclusive. The conclusive raids were the ones on the East Coast, 
mostly because it was easier to locate the targets and bomb them rather than stooging all over the UK in yeah. bad weather trying to actually find a target in the first place. Would they do the same as they did in Hull? So when, they, when the Luftwaffe came into bomb Hull, they would use the, obviously there's blackout, mm-hmm. so they would use the reflection of the moon off the Humber estuary as they came in, and they'd also use that to guide them into Coventry and to Birmingham. Yeah. Would they do the same when it came to, to Newcastle, for example? Would they use the Tyne? They would use the Tyne. The only problem is you've got the Tyne and Weir estuaries, which are only eight kilometres apart. Often, the bombers would bomb the wrong target. They'd be going for Sunderland and they'd bomb Newcastle. But this was an old tradition going back to the First World War. When the Zeppelin raid started in 1915, the second ever Zeppelin raid was supposed to be against Newcastle. And the captain of the airship was over the river and dropped his bombs meticulously on the north side of the river where the shipyards were, turned around and left. There was only one slight problem. He'd bombed the River Blythe, not the River Tyne. He'd made a 1% error in his reading and it ended up over Blythe rather than over the Tyne because Blythe is only about 10 miles north of Newcastle. What did he hit? Not much. Thank goodness. If he'd hit the southern side of the river, he would hit the submarine base there, but he hit the northern side instead, so he hit nothing of any vital importance. So sheer luck for Blythe. That was one of the major problems in the northeast was that bombers invariably ended up bombing the wrong river, or even if they got over the right river... The Tyne's quite annoying because it's got lots of very similar sweeping bends through the river. Mm-hmm. So you could end up bombing in the wrong place. There was places further on in the Thumbland got bombed when the Germans thought they'd actually bombed the shipyards in Gateshead. But they were about five miles too far inland. Unlike Hull, which is, of course, as you know, it's Kingston upon Hull. Because yeah. it's on the River Hull. You've got the Humber Estuary. And the River Hull goes along the northern end of the Humber Estuary. And the industry at the time was in a narrow zone either side of the River Hull, which presented a really, really good target for German bombers. They could bomb that river or they could bomb the docks. That didn't happen at Newcastle. Inevitably, bombs went in the wrong place. The local authorities were quite perplexed that they were dropping bombs on the beaches no strategic target on the beaches? No, definitely not. So what were they aiming for here in Newcastle and across the Tyne and Weir area? What's the industry here? The targets in the north really should have been the Tyne and the Clyde because 46% of major Royal Navy warships had been built either on the Tyne or on the Clyde. And any first-year naval cadet with a copy of Jane's fighting ships could find this out. Yeah. So it's quite perplexing <laughs> that the first time the Luftwaffe come further north than Yorkshire is in 1941 when they bombed Glasgow. You've also got lots of heavy industry at Newcastle. There's coal mining. The coal has to be sent through the East Coast convoys going down to London. And this is constantly happening. So any way you can disrupt that flow of supplies or that production is obviously going to have a knock-on effect to the war effort in general. And in their attempts to do that, are there any particular nights that have gone down in history, gone down in folklore here in Newcastle, that we need to know about, that we need to inform the world of, that have been forgotten? Well, it's the 1st of September, 1941, that took place against Newcastle. From where we're sitting at the moment, about 500 metres east of here, was a good station, a new Bridge Street, which was an absolutely massive station, 
it was used as a storage yard for rations as well. And on the 1st of September 1941, KG-30 turned up and attacked it. They managed to put two direct hits on the goods yard, which completely demolished it. Loads of supplies were lost. I particularly like the fact that the official history says that 30,000 cigarettes were burnt in the raid. just shows what the priorities were differently Ooh, in those yeah. days. My father, at the time, was a teenager, and he was actually on a bus that had just gone past the station. He must have been 750 metres up the road on a trolley bus when the first bomb went into the station, and he used to swear that the trolley bus had leapt a foot in the air from the bomb blast. He was probably exaggerating. I mean, I was a small child at the time, but he definitely was affected by that. And my grandmother always used to talk about there being a smell of bacon in the air for days afterwards because of all the rations that were stored there. And when you think about it, the amount of bacon that people got a week, it was something like four to six ounces. You can just imagine the smell in that. They're thinking what a cruel trick it is because they can smell cooked bacon, but they haven't got any to eat. Tobacco smoked bacon yeah. going up in the air. I mean, yes, it must have been a sweet yet rancid and terribly disappointing smell. Yeah. In terms of the, the civilian population, what were the civilian casualties like? In well, it was 55 people killed, which was... In that particular... In that particular race, yeah. yeah. And there was 100 houses demolished and there was 1,000 houses were made uninhabitable. So that was a fairly major effort for the, the local authorities to actually deal with. It's the only raid I could find in the local archives that actually has the post-raid plan in it. Every other raid was a case of, yeah, the street being hit, we can do something with that. But they had to have a centralised, organised plan to actually look after these people after that particular raid. And so if we were to look at the, the entirety of the war and the focus down in on Newcastle... How many civilian casualties are we talking about? How many raids are we talking about across the Second World War? I think it's a mistake to talk about the raids on Newcastle. Okay. We should be talking about the raids on Tyneside. Because of that inaccuracy? Yes. Okay. And also because Newcastle City Council was a very small area. Right. And then you had a lot of urban district councils that went all the way along the river on both sides. And also the uh, urban district councils at Sunderland. So if you take all those into consideration, you come up with a figure of 1,100 people killed from 1940 to 1943. Now, the historiography has kind of ignored that completely. Hull, on the other hand, has always been seen as a special case the ubiquitous northeast coastal town. Yeah. And uh, Grayling, when he wrote his book, made the point that the experience in Hull was different to the coastal settlements along the east coast. I'm sorry to say he was completely wrong. Because I've crunched the numbers. There was 1,153 people killed in Hull during the Second World War. So when you compare that to the northeast conurbation, the figures are practically identical. So when there were bombing reports in the newspapers, say in Hull, because the government, the Ministry of Information, didn't want too much information to go out, 
what they stated was that it was a northeast coast town that had been bombed. It was yes. never Hull that was yes. named or never any other yes. cities. And so this is another reason why it's all been forgotten from history. Because when you're not reporting it in the national newspapers and it goes into the newspaper archive, well, um, well, that's how history is erased yeah. and silenced. Because of the anonymization, which I can understand why they did, because they didn't yeah. want to let the Germans know if they were hitting the correct target, it's meant the knock-on effect of that has been that it's anonymized the bombing and it means the experience, especially of civilians under bombing, has been forgotten about. And did the civilians in Newcastle and the broader Tyneside area, did they, they feel like they'd been forgotten about? You know, you had Churchill walking the streets of Coventry, Coventryization. you had the fortitude of the Blitz spirit. Where's the Newcastle spirit? Probably in the pub, to be perfect. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Stephen, thank you so much. We've hopefully started to right a historical wrong. We're not going to be too ambitious, but maybe we can bridge some animosity between the North and the South as well. Yeah, maybe. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much, James. Thanks for listening. But before you go, I've got a very exciting special offer for Warfare listeners. Over on History Hit TV, we're building the world's best history channel on demand, and we want to share it with you. When you sign up for a monthly subscription using the code WARFARE, you'll get two things. You'll get two weeks free, followed by your first three months with 50% off. We release two exclusive new documentaries every week, including my new series, Traces of War. And you'll get access to every episode of our ever-growing podcast network, ad-free. So you can listen to Warfare without the interruptions, but also to all our shows, like Matt and Cat on Gone Medieval or Tristan on The Ancients. To sign up, just follow the link in the show notes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland 
further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.